0: Uh, We're starting a brand new series today, and uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, you're going to be a little bit surprised. You might be tempted to head for the doors. No, we're not talking about giving. That might be the topic that you might think uh, people might want to do that, but we're talking about a really, really important topic, and I feel strongly that this is something we should address in this season, and our series title is called Raising Hell, and uh, a couple quick things. What this series is not, this series is not about civil unrest, all right? This series is not about parenting. I thought this could be interpreted as a parenting series. Uh, It is not that. It's not a series designed to scare people either, but it is a series designed to help us recover the powerful doctrine of sin, judgment, um, God's grace, and eternal life. And so uh, I'm excited to jump into this series. I'm just going to pray for us as we start, and uh, then we'll watch a short little video. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time Um, To really dive into your word, we are privileged, we are honored. We believe that every time your word is opened and proclaimed, that it goes forth with power. That it has the ability to um, convict us and to inspire us and shape us and mold us. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would change us, that we would leave here different than when we came. Our hearts are open and receptive to whatever you want to say to us. Um, I pray for all those listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and watch this short video.
1: Hey, we're here in Times Square, New York City, trying to find out why people don't believe in hell. Hell is like not even a cool thing anymore. Back in the day, everybody was like, oh, you're going to hell. Now, nobody knows, nobody cares. What's it gonna be like when you guys show up? What do you think? Amazing. Amazing. Ha-ha-ha. 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 Yeah! <laughs> the devil is in your presence right now! Why do people go to hell? Oh, they're bad people. bad people. Bad people. And is there any like getting around it or is it like everybody's going? I don't know. Oh, of
0: course she's way around it.
1: How can you get around it? What are you gotta do? Be good! If anything, we're living in hell right now. idea when when people like didn't have any other reason to behave in a moral fashion, okay. but like I think now it's sort of an outmoded concept because I think people are aware of what how they should behave morally or not. There's a heaven and there's a hell. Okay. I, I think it's a kind of religious to to make people do uh, good things. You do bad, you go to hell. You do good, you go to heaven. I don't think you should be embarrassed about something you believe in 100%. I mean, there is no hell, there's no heaven, there's just nothing. It's just- but I never believed in heaven either, so it's not like I'm, like, prejudiced. You know, I don't believe in the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus either. Have you ever told anybody about going to heaven, going to hell?
0: Okay. No. Do you feel
1: I, like a bad Christian today? Yes, thank you. Thank <laughs> you! <Yes! laughs> I do believe in heaven. Why? Hell, because I'm a Christian and I also believe in heaven. Okay. Yeah. We're talking about people's souls forever going to hell, and you don't care, sir. Do you believe it? Anybody here believe in hell? Or... I follow Christ and I feel His love, and so I will be okay. How many people have you ever told about hell? About hell? About hell. Oh, I, never, no, I don't never know when I'm talking about hell. Never. It scares me.
0: Right. Interesting. Right. Interesting. And I think if we're honest, uh, that may be we may find ourselves in a similar spot. It's not a topic we want to talk about, um, but not wanting to talk about it doesn't make it go away, right? And so it's important that we talk about it. And honestly, if it's important, I mean, if it's real, if it's true, then there probably isn't anything that's more important than talking about this subject. Would you agree with that? Like if this is real, this is true, there's nothing that's more important. And so uh, what we're going to do is look at a couple reasons why Uh, Here's a a couple reasons why people struggle with this idea or this belief in hell. Um, But before I do that, I I just want to kind of, again, the series is called Raising Hell. And the the reason we're calling it that is because I want us to get angry about this doctrine. Not angry at God, that would be the wrong focus of our anger, but angry at the fact that there is an enemy whose desire is to destroy our lives. And we should get fired up. I'm going to use as many uh, hell puns as I can. We should get fired up. You guys feel, no? I've wait waiting all week for that, waiting all week for that. Uh, this is a hot topic, no? No, okay, there's, there's, there's lots more of those, but um, no, okay, all right, never mind, You're not in the mood, that's fine, that's fine. Um, and parents, uh, I just want to encourage you, um, I, you have plenty of opportunity this week to help explain to your kids why the difference between using this word as a bad word and using it to refer to an actual place, all right? So parents, you get to do that this week with, little, with young ears. Um, so here are a couple reasons why people struggle with this belief. Here's number one. Uh, hell is, is a very unpopular idea, right? We struggle with this because it's not like something you, you say at dinner parties. It's not, you know, like a popular thing to talk about. Um, studies show that very few people actually believe, even Christians, actually believe um, in this doctrine. Uh, m- many people believe in heaven, but not many people believe in hell. Number two, another reason we struggle with this belief is that the punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime. Uh, for example, if I go home today, we have three daughters. If I go home today, I'm going to pick on my middle daughter today. Her name is Adeline. And uh, if, I, if we go home today and we have lunch at home and at the, at the lunch table, uh, Adeline spills her drink and I send her to her room for 30 years, that might seem a little extreme, right? So some people have a hard time imagining that something we did in this a short lifespan is deserving a punishment for all of eternity. That, that makes sense. Like people, people feel that way. Number three, life. Many people argue that life is hell itself. You heard in the video, she said, isn't this hell enough? Isn't this bad enough? Uh, one person wrote this, and this is a mouthful, but this kind of expresses this thought. They said, given life's headaches, backaches, toothaches, strains, scrapes, cuts, rashes, and burns... Bruises, breaks, PMS, fatigue, hunger, hunger, odors, molds, colds, parasites, viruses, cancers, genetic defects, blindness, deafness, paralysis, retardation, deformities, ugliness, embarrassments, miscommunications, confused signals. This sounds like marriage, right there. All that stuff. Uh, ignore I- ignorance, requited, That's a hard word to say. Um, unrequited love. Dashed hopes, boredom, hard labor, repetitious labor, old age, accidents, fires, floods, earthquakes, typhoons, tornadoes, hurricanes, and volcanoes. And we can add in there, global pandemics. And I cannot see how anyone after they're dead deserves eternal punishment too. Right, so life, many people would argue life is hard enough. Number four, another reason we have trouble with this doctrine is that hell seems to be intolerant and hateful. How can you tell good moral people that they're going to hell because they don't believe in our version of God? And then finally, which I think this is a reason many of us struggle with this belief, is that we like being liked. We like being liked. We don't want to be the person that's seen as weird. Um, We don't want to be that person that people don't like. These are all reasons we can relate to, right? Um, But I want you guys to do something with me. I want you guys to grab a piece of paper. I want you to pull it out. And those joining online, I want you guys to do the same thing. Grab a piece of paper and a pen, or you can just lock this name in your mind. But I want you to think of a name or write down a name of the most moral, loving, kind, compassionate, non-Christian person that you know. It could be a coach. It could be a teacher. It could be a family member. It could be a coworker or a boss. But who is the kindest, most loving, compassionate, non-Christian person that you know? Go ahead and take a minute and think about that and jot that down. Those of you joining us online and in viewing, I want you guys to, uh, to join us in this as well. So who is the kindest, most compassionate, non-Christian person you know? Okay, I want you to look at that person's name right now. I want you to think about that person's name, and i want to ask you a question. The Bible teaches that unless that person becomes a Christian before they die, they will spend an eternity in hell. So my question is, do you believe that? There's three ways you could answer that question. You could say, no way, I don't believe that at all. I don't believe in this doctrine. I don't believe a God, God would do that. You might say, I don't know, and that's fine too. You might say, I just don't know what the answer is. Or like many of us, you might say, yes, I do believe that, but I don't want to tell people about it, right? So part of my goal for this series is to get us fired up, to get us, get us excited, to get us passionate again about this important thing called sharing our faith, because this is a real doctrine. This is an important thing to talk about. So um, what I want to do is we're going to read from, uh, from John chapter 3. Go and open up your Bibles to John chapter 3. And what is, do you think, the most famous Bible verse in the entire Bible? I'll give you a hint, it's from John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16, right? Which says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to read those verses and a few other verses. But but what we're going to see, and that verse is great news, isn't it? God loved the world, we just sang about it oh, he loves us, he loves us, but what we're going to find out is, okay, the gospel is called good news, but good news is only good if you know that there's bad news as well. Does that make sense? Uh, If someone came up and told you, hey, I I just paid all of your debt, and you didn't know you had any debt, like that wouldn't be as amazing as if you knew all the debt that you had, right? You're like, oh, I didn't know I had any, but thank you, you know? Or if if someone came up to you, if you're in school, and somebody came up to you and said, hey, the professor just gave you an A in the class. You're kind of like, why? that's what I thought I deserved, actually. Come to find out, though, if you actually fail in the class, and then you found out that the professor gave you an A, that's like amazing, right? That's good news. So part of the problem is if we don't address the bad news then the good news doesn't sound as good. It doesn't make as much sense. And that's part of what I think is happening in our culture, is we're like, hey, God loves you. And everyone's like, cool, that's awesome. I kind of figured he did, right? But we have to let people know, we have to understand that there's bad news. So in this passage we're going to look at, John 3, 16, you're going to be surprised, because this is straight from Jesus' mouth, and he's talking to a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life or to get into heaven? Jesus says, you have to be born again. then it goes into this passage, which we love. We're going to read a couple of verses, though, that may surprise you because Jesus mixes the good news with the bad news and helps us understand the the importance and how how good the good news actually is. So John 3, uh, verses 16 through 21, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And to this point, we're like, amen, like this is good news, isn't it? There's more, though. It says, verse 18, you probably didn't know this was here. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. All right, awesome. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, This is where, like in the, in the movie, it goes, dun-dun-dun. That's where this part comes in, right? Jesus didn't come to condemn us because we stand condemned already. Our own sin condemns us. Verse 19, this verdict, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Isn't that true that uh, if people are doing something bad, they don't want that to be exposed? They don't want that to, be, to come into the light? Um, secret stuff, hidden stuff, uh, is not good stuff. My dad always said to us, um, nothing good ever happens after dark. Uh, I don't know if your parents ever said that or not, um, but I was trying to push the curfew a little bit. Hey, Dad, can I stay out a little bit later? He's like, honestly, son, nothing good happens after dark. And uh, if you think about it, that's, that's pretty true, isn't it? Not a whole lot good happens <laughs> after dark. Um, if you think about what's going on, kind of the civil unrest, when, when is most of the rioting and protesting happening? Usually at night, right? Because there's concealment, there's cover, we can hide our deeds that's a lot of what takes place. We want to portray on the surface like things are good and we're moral people in a moral culture, but there's a lot of underbelly that's ugly and dark and hidden and secret, and people don't want that to be brought in to the light. So here's the big idea for today, and this is huge. This series is basically one big sermon broke up, up into four parts, but here's today's part is this. We believe that every human being has a soul that will exist eternally either in heaven with God or in hell separated from God. What Jesus is telling us in his own words is that anyone who believes in me is saved and has eternal life, but anyone who does not put their trust in me and what I've done is condemned already because of their sin and rebellion against God. See, that's the bad news is our sin separates us from God, but the good news is Jesus has made a way for us to be saved. Amen? Amen. Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Wait, time out. That's one of our biggest fears, right? (laughs) People who can kill this. But Jesus says, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of one who can kill the body and not the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, capital O, meaning it's a proper name, talking about God. Be afraid of God who can destroy, what, both soul and body. Where? In hell. In hell. See, this is a clear teaching of Scripture, not something to be avoided, but it's one of the most important things we could think about and talk about. So I think one of the ways we could approach this, maybe you're a skeptic still, and, and that's, that's okay. Um, we're glad that you're kind of exploring and letting God work in your heart. Uh, but there's a, a, a French mathematician and scientist by the name of Blaise Pascal. I think we should bring that boy name back, Blaise. Uh, Blaise Pascal And uh, he developed a line of thinking known as Pascal's Wager. He was involved in these philosophical discussions with other philosophers about the existence of God, and some would argue that God doesn't exist, and Pascal said, you know what, let me just kind of put this forward as an argument. So it's called Pascal's Wager. And he said this, he said, If you're betting against God's existence, if you're right, you gain little. If you're wrong, you lose a lot. He said, but if you bet on God's existence, if you're wrong, you lose only a little. If you're right, you gain a lot, right? So I would say in in this category of this doctrine of hell, it might be similar. That if you're skeptical, just like, ah, there's no way possible. I want to encourage you to lean in. And if you're you're wrong, uh, if you're right that there is no hell, then not a whole lot's been lost, right? But if you're wrong and there is a hell, then there's a whole lot to be lost a whole lot to be lost. So what I want to do is I just want to share for a few minutes um, three reasons why I believe that this is actually a beautiful doctrine. I know it sounds strange for somebody to say that hell, the doctrine of hell, is a beautiful doctrine, but here's why. I want to explain why. And here's the first reason. That we all want to live in a world where sin is judged. Uh, We don't want our own sin to be judged, (laughs) But we, none of us want to live in a world where sin is not judged. You guys tracking with that idea? Imagine a world where no sin is accounted for, no evil or wrongdoing is judged or accounted for. That's not a good world. You don't want to live in a world where the Hitlers of the world are set free to roam and do whatever they want to do. You don't want to be a part of that world. See, in our heart, when it comes down to it, we want to live in a world where sin is judged, Right? Sin is the enemy. We're not the enemy, right? Sin is, and we want God to judge sin. We want him to. We're just scared of it because of what it means for us. What I find very interesting about the cultural moment we find ourselves in is culture is screaming moral absolutes in so many ways. I hope you guys can see this, right? Culture is saying this is morally right and this is morally wrong. You can fill in the blank, whatever that is this is morally right, and this is morally wrong. The difference between culture and Christianity is that culture says, I'm the one that gets to determine what's morally right and morally wrong. Christianity says God has already determined that. The problem with culture determining what's morally right and morally wrong is that culture gets to change it as well. And so what's morally right and wrong today, who's to say that's not, you know, morally right or wrong tomorrow? It can change, but when God says it, it's eternal and it doesn't change. So God will absolutely one day judge sin, and that is a good thing. We want him to judge sin. Trust me, you want justice, don't you, for the people who have wronged you and for the the things that have gone on. You want justice for those things. That's okay. We have grace, complete grace. There's no judgment on that, but grace. (laughs) We've all been there. All right, number two. Number two, God has made a way for us to be saved. Think about that. From your own sin, from my own sin, God has made a way for me to be saved. So it's not just, here's a doctrine of hell, good luck. But there is a punishment for sin, and then there is a way of salvation. The Bible has a clear, consistent message. There is a God who sits as judge, and he will judge sin. But in his mercy and grace, he delays judgment until our death or until a future time. And you know what? We don't know when that time is, do we? So he delays judgment and he's provided a way to be forgiven and set free from all of your sin. Romans six twenty three: for the wages of sin is death. Right? Like if, if sin earned a paycheck, the paycheck would be death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When people get tripped up over the doctrine of hell, it's because we're putting our focus on the wrong aspect of the doctrine. People get really tripped up and say, I can't believe that a loving God would send people to hell. But we miss out on the fact that a loving God has provided a way so that we don't have to go to hell. Does this make sense? We're putting the emphasis on the wrong level. I almost got it, team. I almost got it this service. <laughs> you guys have heard that phrase before, but we're putting our focus in the wrong place when we get tripped up on that part of the doctrine. We think rationally, well, this couldn't be possible, but we have to be open to the idea that maybe this is the way that God has designed it. That in our own choice, our own free will, we sin against God and there's punishment for rebellion, rebellion rebelling against God. Number three, the third reason this is a beautiful doctrine is that we've been given a warning. So not only does God give us a way, but he also gives us a warning. I don't know if anybody's ever tried a parenting technique uh, where it's like surprise, surprise uh, punishment or surprise, like, surprise attack, where it's like your kids have no, no idea that, that, the, that the punishment's coming. Uh, it's not a, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily, but, uh, but the, the beautiful thing about God is God gives us warnings. We deserve punishment right away, but he doesn't punish us right away. He gives us grace and gives us time to turn and to repent and to look to him instead. We've been given a warning. One of my um, biggest pet peeves in driving is when people don't use their turn signals. Now, I'm sure I'm the biggest hypocrite. I'm sure I do it. That's probably why it bothers me. But um, can anybody tell me real quickly, what, when you're riding a bicycle or a motorcycle, what are the, uh, the manual uh, hand signs for turning, right? When you're turning left, what do you do? you hold out your left hand. When you turn right, what do you do? Yeah. No, you don't, yeah, you, you do this, right? This is, the, this is the signal to turn right, because you don't want to take your hand off, off the accelerator on the, on the bicycle, on the, on the motorcycle, all right? So that's what it is. Turn left, and you turn right, but it's so frustrating when people don't tell you what they're doing, they just do it without any warning, right? In God's grace, he gives us a warning, and you and I, sitting in 2020, at this point, We have about a 2,000-year runway of God declaring, stop, you're headed for a cliff to your own demise. Turn and repent of your sin and receive my grace, right? That's what he's telling us. We have the hindsight, at least in the New Testament era alone, we have 2,000 years of God's warning saying, turn, trust me, and put your hope in me. So what an amazing God. Let me read these verses from Romans chapter 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen and amen to that. There is no God like this. Every other world system says you either have to, either there's nothing at the end, or you have to work. And if you're if you're fortunate enough, um, the wrath of God might say yes, and you can be in heaven. But our God says, "I made the way for you. I took the punishment for you. You're saved by putting your faith and trust in me." This is what sets Christianity apart from every other world system. So here's the conclusion. Here's what I want to challenge us with and leave us with. That if hell is real, I must take it seriously. If hell is real, I must take it seriously for my own life, the repentance of my own sin, and also for those that I love. There's telling in that video at the end, right, when the guy I was talking to somebody you could tell was a Christian. She said, I'm a Christian. This is what I believe. And he asked her, how many people have you told about this? She's like, I no, I don't talk about that. Right, that's a challenge to us. Um, um, this past year or so, I've had a coach and a mentor. His name is Brian Jones, and he wrote a book um, called Hell is Real, But I Hate to Admit It. And he tells about his own journey, and he tells about the fact that as he went through seminary, um, he, he interacted or um, uh, had liberal professors that questioned and challenged his faith and actually caused him to doubt his faith. So as he started in ministry, his faith was really weak and shaken. And he actually didn't, he brought himself to the point where he didn't believe in the doctrine of hell. He's like, I just can't bring myself to believe that a loving God would do this sort of thing. So he was a pastor of a church for four years and never really confessed, hey, I don't actually believe in what the Bible teaches about hell. And so he went away on a retreat one time, was really seeking God, and said, God, I just don't believe that this is real. And God challenged him and said, you need to confess to your church that you don't believe in hell. And so he, he prayed about it, and he, he spent some more time searching the Bible, and he did something called Bible Roulette, where you take your Bible. Anybody ever done that? No one's ever done this. No one does this. Online, you've never done this. You take your Bible, you like flop it open, and then you like point to a verse, and you read it. And that's what, you know, you hope God will speak to you that way. So he did Bible Roulette. And every time he did, it landed on verses that talked about eternal punishment and God's wrath and all these things. He's like, ah, he's like, this is actually true. So he was convicted. He changed his heart. He put his faith, he believed it even though he didn't want to believe it, right? Even though he didn't rationally and culturally, it doesn't make sense sometimes. But he said, this is what God says is right and true. And so he went back to his church and he called an emergency meeting with his elders. And he said, guys, I have something really uh, significant to confess he said, for the, for the past four years, I haven't believed in this doctrine of hell. And one of the leaders goes, whew, man, I'm glad that's all it was. I thought it was going to be something serious like an affair or something like that. <laughs> right? And like we understand what the leader is saying, but at the same time, that's a significant thing to be like, oh, wow, I thought it was something really, really important. This matters. This is of, e- of eternal importance, isn't it? In fact, nothing else matters as, as much as this does. So part of my goal and desire for this series for us as a church is that we would get fired up, right? That we would literally raise hell about the doctrine of hell. That we'd find ways that God would use us to share the gospel um, in, in creative ways with those around us. That we'd see people come to know him as their Lord and Savior. Um, I'm going to say a few things as we close, and I'm not making political statements about what's going on um, but in the past few months, as we've become aware of, of COVID-19, I mean, we've done a lot of things, right, as a, as a culture to keep people safe. And Mike, what, what I feel challenged to you as a Christian is, um, do we put the same kind of effort into seeing people know about the good news about Jesus? Does that make sense? Like, do we get that fired up about about the gospel? Do we get as passionate to debate on Facebook about <laughs> eternal truths, right? Do we campaign as much for other people's well-being? Do we talk about it? Do we think about it? Do we obsess about it? Do we pray about it? There was a 2006 report from the World Health Organization that states that nearly a million people a year take their lives. That's more than through, through murder or being killed in war every single year. That's more than what we've seen as deaths from COVID-19, Every single year, a million people take their own lives. We live in a world where more people die of suicide than homicide. People are looking for answers about life and death, and I just happen to believe that we have the answers. These statements, next couple statements haunt me, but people are dying every single day apart from God. Do we care? People are living every single day apart from God. Do we care? John 3.16 is so amazing, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We love that verse, but we have to remind ourselves why did he give his son in the first place? It's because we needed a savior, right? There's bad news, but then there's good news to go along with it. And the good news doesn't make a whole lot of sense if we leave out the bad news. I believe it's time to raise hell about hell and tell people the good news of Jesus. I'm going to ask our band to come up, and we're going to pray. And I want you to think about, as we pray, I think there's a couple ways that you can respond. Number one, um, if you're listening to this message, if you're here in our our, uh, in-person services, and you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus, now is your time, now is your moment that you would repent of your sin, that you would turn to God in his love and his grace, he would receive you with open arms, that you'd be forgiven and set free. That is the gift of God through Jesus. I think another way we can respond is, is if you're a follower of Jesus, for me, I felt repentance in my heart. God, if you're going to judge sin, I need to take sin seriously. I need to take it seriously. I need to repent of my sin. And I think another way to allow this to, um, to apply this It's to think about people that you know that don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. Uh, Maybe make an actual list or a mental list of people that you know that if they died today, they would not spend eternity in heaven with God, but they'd be separated from him for all of eternity. I know it's hard to think about it, right? It brings heart because we don't know what to do, but we can't ignore it. I just want to call us as the church, especially in this season of, like, elections and economy and, like, all that stuff. That stuff is important, but this is way more important than that. Like, let's not lose focus on this and get distracted with everything else. Amen, church? Like, this matters. This is why we're here. I was talking to uh, Kate Mayer, our kids' director, uh, earlier this week, and she brought up the, the thought that you know, um, her, one of her kids actually asked her mom, um, if what Jesus, if what God wants for us is to to put our trust in him, then why don't we go to heaven as soon as we do that? That'd be kind of nice, right? Like, hey, Jesus, I'm on the Jesus train. Like, boom, heaven. That would be awesome. What is the one reason why that doesn't happen? We're supposed to stay and to proclaim the good news about Jesus. That's, that's why we're here, right? That's why it doesn't, doesn't happen that's our mission is while we're here is to proclaim the good news about jesus so i hope we as a church i hope we get passionate i hope we get excited um, about this doctrine um, that shows god's love and god's grace god's plan let's pray god thank you for this time together thank you for the gathered church uh, whether it's in person in view rooms or online thank you for the opportunity to lift up your name god remind us of the seriousness of our sin But don't don't let us stay there. The enemy would want us to feel shame. The enemy would want us to feel guilt. The enemy would want us to feel fear and to feel stuck, to feel confusion. But that is not what you want. God, in your grace, you set us free. In your grace, you save us from certain death and punishment. God, in your grace, you love us. In your grace, you set your son. In your grace, you give us a mission and a purpose God, please show us in our lives what would change, what needs to change for us to take this doctrine seriously. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.